Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Risking Failure. I'm your host, Mark Dobson, but if you're a regular listener, you already know that. On the other side of the world, my good friend, Mick Dunn, and you as a listener are the third person in a conversation because this podcast is about you guys having the opportunity to hear an honest conversation without any agenda, without any filtering. This is real life, right now, happening. And now, here's Mick Dunn. How are you, mate? Hey, emphasis on the third person too. If you are the listener, you are the third person listening to this. It's just the three of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, as far as we know, it has, it's been a long time since we've looked at statistics. We've had a growing audience, but for all we know, it could just be you listening in here. Well, there is, well, actually, one of our, a friend of ours and a good friend of Brona's actually just listened to the show the other day that had dad in it. And, has since got in touch and has listened to a few other sh- other shows since, and is a big fan. Like she was just loving the way we're exploring topics that were relevant to her. So she just went through the list and just chose out a couple and said these are great, and they just really hit a chord with us. So maybe there's four people listening. What- there might be, mate. Hey, so since hey, ha- we spoke last time, oh, you've got something? Go. No, no, no. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 you first. <laughs> Wait, I was leaving space for the third and fourth person to speak. <laughs> I was trying to fill the gap, but the fact that there's no fourth person. So. <laughs> That's right. um, since we've been, we spoke last, I've been uh, to Damon's wedding in Thailand, possibly mm. the best place I've ever stayed. I've stayed in some fully sick places around the world and I've seen some cash. And this place wasn't perhaps the most expensive place it was a villa on top of a on top of this huge mountain in thailand that when we opened the curtains all we could see was ocean and islands but we were up so high we looked over everything else and we're in this villa for five days and the wedding was there and it and it was just incredible and i've come back totally refreshed and i was saying to brona the other day if we actually took photos and posted them like everybody else does about what they're eating, about what we're actually doing, I reckon we'd crush some people's spirits. <laughs> Honestly, we look at our life and go, how are we doing something else interesting? Um, yeah, it's awesome. So instead of posting them on Facebook, I'll let's talk about send on the them podcast. to Mick, who's in Maine in the freezing freaking cold. Yeah, let's just demoralize one particular individual. <laughs> I did do that. Yeah, and you did it at bloody 1 a.m. in the morning last night. My phone's buzzing off. I'm trying to get to sleep, and then I'm looking at bloody texts from you with these amazing photos. So I I hit the do not disturb button. (laughs) Yeah, because it wasn't just Thailand. All the stuff around it and what we're doing each day at the moment. Oh, my Mm -hmm. gosh. It's been amazing. And uh, it's fun. But you should anyway, you should have your phone on silent, you silly bugger. But then you did respond back with some fairly aggressive language. Um, which was actually funny at this end as well. Um, hey, but the break has meant that uh, I've been able to think a little bit about the theme that we talked about last time. So if you missed last week's episode, which I doubt it if you're a regular, but if you did, we were talking about starting having some clarity about what direction we were going this year. And because life had been busy, I hadn't had the time to think about it. And I probably still haven't had the time that I would have done in the past, but still... I've come up with a few little things. Did you have a think about it as well? Uh, 
Not really oh, from the perspective. <laughs> bring bring your A game to the table, Mick. Oh, look out. Mate, I just took action. Mm. I was all about action. <laughs> I haven't been thinking about what I was going to do. I just, I don't know. I like, if I had to sum it up, like I've been in, I've been away too for two weeks. I've had a pretty good couple of weeks myself, feeling pretty guilty for leaving the family home. But I had a trip out to Vegas and uh california so i was in warm weather and you know it wasn't too bad but had plenty of time to sort of really think but i actually didn't find i was doing much thinking i was just more trying to think about what i needed to just get on with um i've just been trying to do that so yeah there is some things i started taking a little bit more action on um which we can go into so. yeah well i so i can relate to that um action period Mm-hmm. When when we got back from Thailand, it, we just were confronted by the fact that we'd been on holidays for quite a while, not done a whole lot of work. The house is still a disaster. We set a wedding date. Nothing's planned. Uh, Brona then got all serious about um, getting rid of some furniture and then sold our lounge suite in within about three hours. And then, then we were sitting on the floor. <laughs> Uh, and then, then we realised that when you order a couch in Australia, it takes between ten to fifteen weeks to get it, um, which is after the wedding and after all of our guests have been here. So we had a fair bit going on, but and then the stress really built up. And then it was at, once we got into the activity of doing it, because if I, if you haven't heard me say before, like if I offer you three pieces of fruit, you can choose one. But if I offer you a hundred pieces of fruit from all around the world and say just choose one, it's difficult. And the overwhelm came from the size of the list. But then we had 24 hours of just going berserk and ticking things off and maybe break, break it into 48 hours. And then it, then it felt good again. Then we could think again. And there's definitely this dance between the two. So you've just come in the action period. I've been in the thinking period. I've just finished action today. And I have some things that I need to bounce off you. Thought about the themes. Well, first off, we've set our, our wedding date for April 2nd this year, which is awesome. It leaves us... Um, about, I think it's about 10 weeks or something to plan it. And uh, I think we'll do it all right. Um, but that seems to, gonna, I can see that taking over the first quarter of the year. Um, and it's it's awesome, but that's also, that's it's still like a couple. Quarter, that's it. Yeah, it's pretty, it feels like it well, I'd still like to have some professional goals and I still need to hit a few things. Mm-hmm. But also, this is speaking season for me. So I am speaking uh, two or three times a day for approximately between four and 10 hours a day for most of February. So I feel like I've got a bit on my plate. So that was a bit of a shame because I want to put a few things in place, but the wedding's the focus right now and just getting that done. Um because I'll spin off things, blah, 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 blah. First off, are you coming to the wedding, do you think? Yeah, that's my plan. Yes. Mm. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> um, how do you feel about being in the bridal party as a groomsman? Mate, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. You're asking me on air. Oh, oh, I'm mate, asking I, you I feel on like air. <laughs> this is like The Bachelor. This is like we have bridged the gap, mate. <laughs> This is reality podcasting right here. Oh, mate, yeah. I'd be honoured. That's great. Mate, totally. Like at first, um, at this end, 
we were just... Uh, I should just, just check that I'm coming first. Then. <laughs> No, that's all right. Kidding. That was more like a. He probably won't come. I'll ask him, and I'll still be fine. <laughs> yeah, right. That was the charity offer. Oh, I didn't think he'd come. Oh, because oh, I've got about seventeen people. I've done this. You're going to well. give me like some great, uh, some blue suede suit to wear or something like that. Well, actually, I don't know about that because as we're looking at this whole thing, I, I actually think all that stuff sort of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what the alternative is. So mm-hmm. that'll all unfold. Very good. Um, but the we can go into the details of this later. But uh, I asked Dan to be my best man, oh, and excellent. which is which is, um, and then I couldn't separate a bunch of boys. So uh, I just said, "Bugger that!" There's going to be there's going to be I think three bridesmaids and six groomsmen. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be awesome. <laughs> Oh, that is fabulous. <laughs> I know, right? I know. And, oh, my gosh, you're going to have so much fun. So uh, I'm wrapped. You're coming. That's awesome. So uh, so anyway, back to goals for the year. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've discovered, oh, first off, remember last week we said um, we talked about whether or not uh, contacting um, Derek, Derek, Derek from... Severus. Derek Severs from mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Tim Ferriss podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, he emailed me back. Yeah. And he gave me a good link of some articles I wanted to read because I asked him, I need some advice for some of the writing stuff I'm doing because I don't, don't feel like I'm pro- uh, productive enough. And he emailed me a link which has just been fantastic. And it's about the, the habits of creative people and artists. And he's actually read a book on it and then just gone, you don't need to read the whole book. Here's the bits that I found killer interesting. And there's about maybe three or four A4 pages of just quotes and key points out of it. It was really great. And it really pointed out to me that I do not have any daily routines or any discipline when I'm writing. I'm writing writing on instinct. And what I'd like to do as a theme, an ongoing theme for a large part of my life, but certainly for the next year or so, is... Establish patterns when I don't have to earn an income those days to actually have a pattern where I'm deliberately seeking to write for three-hour chunks. So I might try to write, say, six three-hour chunks in a week. Some of them might be both on two, two on the same day, one each morning. And I want to establish some sort of writing, uh, almost like ritual or pattern. And they had some fantastic examples about people waking up at four in the morning, writing for an hour, then going back to sleep. Just about everybody was napping at some point, which was extraordinary because I find that too, where I just need a 15 minute power um, refresher. It's like you, you just like switch off the batteries for 15 minutes. <laughs> at 4am. Yeah. I need to have a power nap about that time. Well, these guys had some crazy <laughs> ideas. They get up at 4.30 or something. They'd write for an hour and a half and mm-hmm. then they have a little bit of food and then they'd have a nap for an hour and then they'd get up and then they'd write for two hours or five hours and they all had these incredible um, routines. Mm. And I'm also frustrated because I would like to start it right away, but I am speaking nonstop starting tomorrow morning and most of the weekends and stuff as well. So the one of the things though that's definitely going to be a theme this year is, is daily habits and setting up some kind of discipline around my writing productivity and... I'm so pumped about it. Yeah, so that 
That feels do awesome. You, do you think you'll actually do it? Mm. I do. I, like, I must admit, I just, I, I can't visualize you doing that every, not every day, but mm. I mean, I just imagine any kind of practice or discipline being something you're going to just break after a few weeks and, and, and much the same because that's how I am. Like, I, I can't. No, but I'd handle it like I go to the gym. Like, I, but I, when I go to the gym, I, I've always gone to the gym since I was about, say, 18. And you go through patches where you're really, really consistent and you're really focused and you have patches where you're just a little bit light on. But you go to the gym and you just got a 30-minute workout or an hour workout and they're three to four times a week and you just juggle them in with your life. And that's what I could see would work. So some of these people were doing it like a nine-to-five job. But you're talking about some of the greats here. You're talking about Walt Whitman and, and uh, like the greats, right? And so Mark Twain, so... I'm not planning on being a great. That a boy. So no, so I do think so. I don't. I don't think it's about um, because straight away that life doesn't. My life especially, but I don't think life generally allows you to be regimented. And the other thing that came up with this uh, in these articles was the suggestion that a lot of these people their their social life suffered so that they could write. And uh, you know that th- these were extremists. This is like. The way that um, if you ever saw uh, Brett Whiteley interviewed about Picasso, what he thought about Picasso, and Brett Whiteley just goes berserk. God, I wrote a book on Picasso, and he's swearing and going berserk. He's like, I don't, don't ask me. Why are you asking me? Because he just felt the answer was just you can't just flippantly ask. He's written a masterpiece about Picasso. He's not going to just give you a one-line answer because these guys are absolute extremists. Um, and so my version of that is to be very conscious of, say, writing um, six times three hours a week. Partly for the creative process. Mm, and and the productivity just to get stuff out there because there's stuff I want to write. Um, um, the other thing that came off that is that it was interesting when I was overseas hanging out with a lot of people didn't know and, they were, and the questions I was getting asked, I was making note of the questions and realising that that's what people wanted to know about. Um, and one of the questions I was getting asked about quite a lot because people were around the age of 30 was how do you prove yourself in your industry and how did I do that? And, and I was surprised that the complexity of thought I had around that and, uh, and how you go about it. And I was also surprised about the philosophy, like the attitude you've got to have, but then also the method, how do you actually do it? And uh, what, do you, what do you think is the answer to that? About proving yourself in the industry. Mm-hmm. Well, a big one is something I've already harped on about a lot. But I said to these guys, I said, Stop. don't try to look good to your bosses. Just deliver. Just do the work. Do the job. Do the outcome. But that doesn't mean act on things blindly. It's like it's a lot about looking at how does this organization or this team get the outcome. And I'm going to take the activity to do that. I'm not going to try to look like I'm that person. I'm not going to... And once people put the record there, it sort of works out for itself. So, um, and I was said to them, look, there's, there'll be people who play the political game. And, you know, sometimes you'll lose that game because you're not playing the politics, but that's not a fertile environment. But if you just consistently be the person who delivers, you, you know, you, you, you keep getting invited into, into new opportunities. As Henry Kissinger said, success is just a VIP invitation to a bigger crisis. And, uh, but I was also talking to him about just 
desiring less as well. Like a, a lot of your opportunity to be free or productive in your industry is um, because you're not trying to impress people. You're trying to just you're much more focused on or than the authentic success model where you're just focused on how do I want to live? What do I want to do? And, and to not, a lot of people, you know, buying cars and suits and stuff to impress other people and they're just spending too much money. Um, and then that puts them in a situation where they're not actually being really um, thoughtful with activity. They're being quite, um, they're, they're, they're fear driven. They're, now they're in crisis management and it's a spiral. Um, I think the 30s is the first time – well, it's not the first time, but I, I think that's when, like, the genuine ownership over the problem of, like, status anxiety begins to kick in, where if you're not – you begin to feel like, oh, the 20s are over, so the, the idea of growing towards a status is sort of over. I should be – that status should be evident, and I should be living it by now Some in some way. It should be becoming clearer and – I do think it's really easy to get hung up on proving myself through a particular position in the company, working for a particular company, uh, you know, starting or like being being an entrepreneur, but like some people just starting businesses because subconsciously, of course, like their feeling of like that's how I'm going to show. Um, I kind of feel like in reflection, um for me, it's been about being helpful. And I feel like I, if any shortcomings I've had in my own industry in terms of being, uh, well, the word's not recognized, but, you know, to, to, to answer the question you had was, I feel like any shortcomings I've had is because I haven't been helpful enough in my industry. I've been helpful to my clients, but I haven't been helpful to other people that are working side by side, potentially trying to achieve similar things to me. I haven't get I haven't been as involved as I could have been in industry or trade organizations and you know, I've tried to be, but I just it just doesn't work out. I just haven't been able to dedicate the kind of time I'd like to and sponsorships and all these sort of things and they 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 i'm not talking so much about money but um i sort of feel like maybe there's some work to be done there on my part is like how can i be more helpful from now on like how can i do what i'm doing but do it with other people and just focus on how can i help you grow your business or or or, um have a better relationship with your client because you know you've just introduced me to them um and i haven't exactly thought like that before it's always hasn't been selfish it's just been like i don't know how can i solve a problem and that's really different to how can i be helpful you know yeah the helpful thing i think is a great angle and i often just about in every relationship i start work wise in any relationship really but work's really evident one um, one of my early questions, and I try not to be too blunt about it because people don't know how to take it, but my attitude is they're trying to succeed at something. And if I know what that is and I can help them do that, then this relationship will sustain. If, if I can't help them, then the relationship's going to fall over. But if they don't know or they're being dishonest, they think they know or they're telling me something else, then we're also going to fall over. So, And I found that a lot with staff when I've hired staff. I always say, what... what What's you, what do you want to do in the next two or three years? Like, what are, you, what are you working on? What are you thinking about? Or what are you and your partner trying to save up for? And which is just a slightly more subtle question. 
And when they tell you, you just get a sense of, oh, well, okay, cool. This is how this could fit in or not fit in, but I don't try to force it. It either naturally clicks or it doesn't. Um, and that probably taught me to, yeah, to have that awareness that the other person's trying to succeed at something. If I can help them, I'm going to be in there in a circle. Uh, but, you know, you language it well there. I've jotted that down actually for my book when I start doing my regular, more, more regular writings. I, I was really aware when I was away, this is what was on my mind of dramatically increasing my productivity because I had a couple of meetings recently and when I went in, I they asked me a couple of questions on, they just told me what their problem was and these large organisations and they, they told me what was going on and I said, oh, this is what you need and I was able to pull out a flyer. Now, not a flyer, they're actually notes from some of my online courses and I said, oh, this is what you need and I showed them the model and one of the workshop sheets I had around it. And they got so excited. They were like, oh, this is exactly it. Now, if I had just said it, they just didn't believe me. But the, the written document is evidence of a way of thinking. You, 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 you know, like if I just think it but I haven't written it, then it doesn't count. And I couldn't believe the responses I was getting to all these worksheets. And it was just a big wake-up call. And I'd already done quite a lot of work on this anyway, so I was heading in that direction. But it sort of uh, reconfirmed that there's a lot of things that I've – tools I've got in, in my brain that if I can get in a pattern of just jotting them down, um, you know, more deliberately, then, then I think it's really going to really going to be helpful because the other theme that's in conjunction with that is definitely, definitely this sense of building or compounding. Like what, what can I put in place that's going to be a seed and really reward me later? And I've seen some other people in my life do that very young in life. And, I, and I've probably have in knowledge ways, but now I want to do it with either um, some more products or some um, business relationships or um, or building the online courses or uh, property or maybe something else as well. Um, mm-hmm. So they were the themes. Yeah, they were the general themes for the year. Um, so recap that to write more? No, it's definitely cr- it's definitely – Daily habits. Okay. And the, the main area to be applying that to is is writing. Yeah. And um, then the other one is more... Well, uh, and that's like a... The, the daily habits is like a subset of a bigger picture of let's, let's build, let's have compound, let's get some growth, let's get some momentum with the resources. So that's yeah. um, mainly financial, honestly. It's, it's about... Financial, but it's also about physical health and about relationships. Like, what do you need to put in place so that things have the opportunity to blossom? And I just mm-hmm. realized that some of the daily behaviors are um, more measurable sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Interesting. Um, it's got a different, it's not as clear as, as other years, but I think that's because of the distraction of what my life's going on, what's going on in my life right now. They're just, I've been at a full on activity stage. Um, but it feels good. I feel comfortable with it, but I think it's going to be good to revisit this straight after the wedding when I can mm-hmm. think about it again and see if I can really get it on track. Yeah, I think so too. Um, just because of how easy it is that life gets in the way, you know what I mean? Like it's, uh, I don't know. There's just stuff that I, uh, this podcast is a great example where, you know, obviously listeners are aware that we haven't been posting regularly for some time. Um, 
and I have to take stock of that and go, we're actually recording as regularly as we can. Just, you know, we had a couple of week break because we're both going to be away traveling. Uh, we actually have been recording this stuff in the archives that I've seen. It's like, oh, you know, this hadn't been edited or, you know, I just uploaded an episode, whatever it is. But it's partly easy to say that time, like life gets in the way or that I'm super busy but I've become much more aware of that. I really don't like that. Uh, I'm just super slammed because there's always time to make. So I am aware, particularly as we've talked more, like that that actually is, is you just need to recognize that something's not a great enough priority. It's not taking enough of a priority because there's something else I've had really intense stuff going on, but it's actually not so much time intensive as it is just emotionally or just mentally intensive. You're just like soaked into something. And I wouldn't say I'm exhausted physically or necessarily emotionally, like at the end of the day or a weekend. I just feel like I, I'm just not ready or able to just jump back into things i need space because it, it the intensity is so high you just you need that break well you need the contrast um, you just need yeah, to right. and and i found that i haven't had that contrast lately but when i said before about I, that power nap in the middle of the day and these artists doing it that's what that is that's a i can't sustain my thinking like this this is intense and you're sitting at the keyboard and it, it's not a casual exercise it's very deliberate and you just need that switch off and i've definitely found through with all the busyness and all the activity and and all the planning i actually haven't had that mental space to switch off and that's really challenging and so recently i just created it like the other day i was working on something actually that's right building a huge volume of ikea furniture like I, every time i swear to god i'm never doing it again and and <laughs> like unfucking believable and uh and B was like, oh, it's, it's nearly done. And it's not nearly done. It's not even close. Um, but it's, you know, and like she was doing it as well, but it's, it's uh, and then there's all these text messages coming in and interrupting me and asking me other questions. And I just said, sorry, guys, <laughs> not answering any of it. Bye. Like, because I just could not, I was too mentally stretched. Like, I just didn't have the mental resources to do all this sort of stuff. And it feels a bit lame, but sometimes you've actually just got to say, no, this is the, the task. And I think that when you said about busy and being slammed, really, I have to ask myself, am I busy or am I flustered? And if I'm flustered, I want to get deliberate. And the only way now to get deliberate is to step back and then make a choice. And... When you're busy and flustered, it's very difficult to realize that you need to step back because you think everything's important. And I've just got to get something done. Hmm. Uh, so I, while I was away for two weeks, I read uh, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Oh, yes. Mm. Right. How good is it? Yeah. It was, um, look, I'm not somebody that's, instinctively organized that's for damn sure um but i definitely felt like from reading it uh well not a, it's it's clear that the author marie kondo kondo is a intense cleaner opera <laughs> um but there were some strategies in there that i i definitely realized like man i've been alive for this long 
and I I didn't realize that I don't know how to properly tidy up, meaning purge things out of like because I've done multiple times of the perfect example in her book was whatever a space in your in your house or in your world that you you're just constantly trying to do a mass cleanup, but you never you just relapse like a diet. So some amazing strategies in the book and I started, you know, started on them um, mostly in the office because I did make the decision since we last talked, I was talking about like, I have this office, you know, we're talking about um, uh, not simplifying, but minimalism, uh, so to speak. And I realized that I have this office so I can store a whole bunch of stuff, essentially, and that I'm hardly getting any time to spend there. So I just decided, well, I just need to end the lease on the office, and then that way that'll be a good motivator to move out. Um, So as soon as I got back, I cut the lease, and so I got three weeks to get out. Um, So that's been good because then in this book – um, I know you may be aware of some of them. I'm just sharing the information because I, I don't think you necessarily need to read the whole book to get the points of what's out there. The, the big thing that hit home for me, though, was, was really two things. One was not cleaning up by area, but cleaning up by category. So in the office, what I did, instead of trying to go in and go, I'm going to clean up my room or my office, or I'm going to clean up... Um, you know, all of the, uh, you know, whatever, an area, a section or department, I just focused on pieces of paper. Um, Anything to do with a receipt, an invoice, a correspondence that was, that didn't have a place yet. So I wasn't thinking about that is um, I found was um, pens. Like if you're going to do stationary, you can start with pens. And I, because everybody has got pens in multiple rooms in the house. And then we've got everyone's got a bucket or a box of pens, and you know if you clean up one space, you've got to, and razors and things like that. Toiletries they're in multiple rooms. So just to reiterate, the model is get all the pens or get all the razors and all the toiletries. As you're saying, all the paperwork and put it in one place. Yeah, put it in one big pile. Yep, and then just sit there and first dispose of everything in the pile before you even think about finding a home for anything. So rather, this was, this is the simple downfall for me. Like I would go through that pile and as I'm going through it, I would make decisions one at a time. Do I need this or don't I, where should I put it now? And then I'd walk over to a filing cabinet or I'd walk over someplace, blah, 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 blah. And then I'd lose steam or I'd maybe get it all done, but I wouldn't continue with it. And so just by putting it all in one massive pile and then all I did was just sit there and throw everything out until it was a small pile and then the small pile was this stuff needs to now get sorted into pretty much three locations it's going to go and I just did that and it was done. It was about a two-hour exercise but the office is cleaned of all just loose paperwork that was lying around and then now I have to actually go through a whole bunch of file folders and do the same thing in actual within things that have places and then I need to go through and do all of the articles of you know stuff lying around and just do one category at a time like samples and literature and all of that crap but it it started to make it much more achievable or at least um made me realize like well 
now, you know, just felt like I could gain a little more control by just picking, you know, a particular thing. So I want to do it at the house and, you know, to do like tools is a big one for me. All kinds of stuff that just compounds over time. So if I just do tools in one weekend, I could probably clear out half my basement and then I can do the same thing just with screws and glue and things, you you know, that the tools, you know, so that was really helpful. Um, and the other part to that decision-making process was that the, like, does that, does this bring me joy? I couldn't necessarily say that about paperwork. It's kind of hard. It's not like you can look at, you know, you know, some kind of a form for the tax or whatever. And go, does this bring me joy? The obvious question is no, but you know, you have to keep it. So, um, but, uh, it, it simplified what I need to do. And, and I was able to start taking action on it, which was good. And in the lease on my office and pretty much get a new place where I can just check in every now and then and use it as an office, you know, like a floating sort of, yeah, like a yeah, floating desk. So, yeah. um, the other element of that, if people haven't read it is, uh, is that you just discard like crazy is the first rule. And if you're doing it at home, you start with clothes. And she's got a very specific order. She's also got very specific uh, decision-making around the conversations you have in your head about letting go of things. And when you're like, oh, but somebody gave me that or this is still really good. And then you and then you make a pile of things and you ask your friends if you want them, but then you're just handing your crap on to someone else. And she's, she's really pointing out that we don't, as you said, we don't know how to tidy and we don't know how to live clean and neat. And we have to learn it and it's a unique skill. And what I found is that I had hints of doing that, but I was never doing it as comprehensively as she did. And we spent the last year, Brian and I independently, because she was living somewhere else, lived, we'd spent the whole year just discarding. And now when we've joined two houses together, you look around, you wouldn't think that right now because we haven't fully moved properly. But uh, the move has been so much easier because we didn't have to go through all that stuff. We didn't box up stuff that wasn't, required and it's it's really liberating because you get that sense of agility you know you're watching the movies where i remember watching um hitch and he's he's got a desk and one computer and you know cupboardy closes and it's like that's his office and i was like i really could be living like that and that was a big wake-up call and it's liberating so so also she says uh, spend six months to a year, like plan on having six months of cleaning your life yeah. out. And I thought that and was this, awesome because we most it's yeah, just been a weekend. Me too. Yeah, me too. Because when I first started reading the book, I was like, do it all at once. I was like, well, hang on, that's completely unrealistic for somebody that's got three kids. Like, we don't even have kid care that can help us get them. Like this, is, and then she was like, yeah, six months. I was like, all right, that's potentially achievable. Um, and so, you know, the idea for her was like, it's got to be so significant and so sudden that it's life altering. And I get that. And I'm actually really attracted to that outcome. If I could achieve, it would be really satisfying. Partly because we want to be able to stay agile anyway, regardless of whether we did end up moving away from here. I think we just want to have that feeling that you're not tied down it's funny because I happened to see this like Facebook post or something of that somebody, I don't know, of 20, 30, whatever mansions of NFL players. And I just like, I didn't, I think I looked at one or two of them, but I was like, 
partly it was one of those clickbait things, but I just looked at the house on there and I was like, this doesn't interest me in the slightest. And I felt actually pretty good about that, that I was like, I really just don't want a house that costs five to $10 million and, and has all of the crap that goes along with that, filling it with junk and blah, blah, blah. I'm just, you know, personally, I'm much more attracted to the idea of having 10 houses scattered all over the world and letting other people enjoy them and enjoy them myself from time to time. And that sounds great. I I don't know. I've never really thought that through, but it's just interesting because I feel, I feel like that since I've lived in the country a little more, I've been less connected to things and more connected to just it's so much easier having less. It's so much easier. Like even this villa that we were at the other week, if we own the villa, it comes with regular stress and regular maintenance. And, but if we rent the villa, it, it's not cheap, but it's actually way cheaper. Like it's way cheaper in so many levels, financially and uh, mentally and um, unless we're choosing a home, which is like what we've done with the house down the coast. The other thing is that what, what you said just then about um, the doing it all at once so it feels life-changing, that's what's actually happening for us at the moment. And it's difficult to explain to people, we're saying, oh, my God, our life's a mess. And we've just been so immersed in either looking at furniture or looking at venues and all this kind of crap that's going on, which I, I kind of puke in my mouth a bit. But, but I don't, I'm uncomfortable with the wedding ritual. Um, but we found a way that suits us. It's awesome. But, you know, just the whole, like, you, you, the reason I was so puking my mouth is because some of these things are just cookie cutter. And you just go, oh, my God, I'm just entering into the wedding sausage machine. Um, and that's really challenging. But what is happening through this three to six months at the moment is, actually, it's a bit longer than that, is such significant change. It's chaos. But on the other side of it is something really different. And um, even when I was building all this furniture, it, it's uh, it's transforming the house. Like it just feels like a completely different space, and it feels awesome. Um, but it's also, tra- as I said before, transition times are expensive. It's financially expensive. It's time expensive. It's mentally um, expensive. But and that's what happens with um, you know, like you says, if you do it over six months, it's it, it'll be a pain in the ass. Well, not really. It's it's you, you're making progress all the time, which feels good. Um. But I say that on my Livermore seminar too. I'm like, when I, on the start of the course, I'm like, you're going to change your life, but do it over a year. Just do it over a year. Everyone tries, tries to change in a week, um, but it doesn't work. So so do you think that is a theme then? Like you said, you've been doing that. Oh, so you're more action-driven, aren't you, at the moment? Do you see yourself continuing that for, say, the next three months? Actually, while I think of it, it's oh, a drink. I just yeah. Yeah, no, no, totally. Uh, I just see it hopefully continuing through every facet of belongings from office to anything to do with my business and storage and things like that. And then on to stuff in the house and you know, in, in at the same time. But I do sort of feel like you get to this point where you've got so much stuff that your brain is it steals time from your brain in some level. Like there's stuff I think about every now and then. I'm like, I just, I'd like to not have to think about that. 
at what to do with that or that I don't have that organized or figured out. And it's like sometimes I'm like, I don't even need it. And yet it's occupying my brain. Um, you know, tools in the basement are a really good example. You know, in the books, you're talking about like photos being a really great, you know, emotionally charged. You know, the recommendation in this book was don't start with things that are emotionally charged like photos. You leave things like photos and, and hand-me-downs and, and, you know, family things until the end when you've gotten a hold of <laughs> what it means to have something bring you joy. And I get that. Um, and you do realize that, you know, stuff like tools, I was like, wow, well, I shouldn't throw that out because I might need it one day. And, or, you know, or that was somebody's grandfather's hammer or that was like, um, whatever. So, but those things find different places in your home that they shouldn't be. And that becomes a cause of stress because I'm like, it's not where it should be. And that's because I'm not organized enough, but, you know, every five, six, ten weeks, I got to like spend a half a day putting all this crap back. <laughs> I'd love to not be doing that, but I've never been able to visualize that in my life before. Never that's because been we've, never position. Been, we've never been yeah. taught the way. Like we just, because I think about the things that we do get taught when it comes to things mm-hmm. is, oh, that's good. Don't throw that out. Or we might be able to use that. Or that's valuable. Or, uh, or yeah, but don't waste it. That's like that costs money, and so you hear these arguments go through your head. Or so and so gave you that. You're not going to throw that out, are you? And they're the things that go through your head. And she's got some really sound arguments to say these things are limiting beliefs, and or they're they're restricting beliefs. And that's look. This is what when somebody wants to do something really well, and if you've anyone's got a frustration in their life and they're not making progress. Typically, it's because we unconsciously have learnt an ineffective way from someone else and we're doing that. And it was like me with the writing. When I, I knew I've written, you know, people look at me and they ask me for advice on writing. But when I contacted uh, Derek Severs, I was like, I emailed him because I knew that he was better than I was at what, I, what was going on. And I said, I'm an established writer. I've done A, B and C, but I'd love some insight on what you're doing. And when he sent me that article, these were refinements in a way of thinking. And and I took to them very quickly because I was so open. But I think with the cleaning one, it's a bit harder because our instinct is to continue to have that conversation with it. Oh, that's important. We need that. Oh, that costs money. What are you going to do it? You can't just throw it out. Like, oh, that's too good to give to the Salvation Army. And and we have to be aware of that that conversation. That that's the enemy. And it's a crap, it's a crap line of thinking. It it is. Um there's that and then there's also for me partly stuff that i've learned over time particularly informative years of like the instinctive drives of being um completer resistant completer which was you know sort of like this profiling tool that you and i spent a lot of time and work on that's almost like a personality indicator but looking at instinct what instinctively motivates somebody's behavior so two people could be organized for two different reasons and that's this core instinct and so this instinct to you know this resistant complete instinct this this desire and this instinct or need to pull apart structure to try to reconfigure it and to break patterns 
is part of my core being. I'm aware of that. I, I visit that all the time. And so it's funny how like, even though I've been told to, you just sort of like part of this lifelong advice and same with Myers-Briggs or whatever is like, you're just not the organizing type. And so you just give up on yourself for that because I was like, well, there's no sense trying to fight that because that's a core instinct that I'm just not able to overcome. I've never been able to overcome it. So why spend emotional energy trying to overcome it? I'm just not born for that. I should just not forgive myself, but just embrace that and go, well, why don't I just embrace a different method that says, this is how things are going to be. And every 10 weeks, I'm just going to do a massive whatever. And it doesn't stress me that much. It's just that it still occupies my brain. Yeah, but it's, a, it's just a. It's been it's been a great strategy, but now you've been introduced to an even better strategy because well, the, well potentially it's just what I'm going to try out. I yeah. mean, but to be honest is, with you, I'm, I'm actually pushing that boundary of that belief system of like, is that possible? I don't know. I mean, like, I'm I'm just trusting somebody I've never met through reading this lady's book that's basically saying I've never, never, ever had a client that's relapsed. I was like, well, one would think that she's had enough people just like me. So if that, if she's at least being truthful in that, then one should suggest that I can, I can pull this off as well. Well, here's what's interesting is that I read that book, what, six months ago or so more. Okay. Yeah. And I still roll all my clothes. Oh, you do? Yep. And I hang my clothes dark to light. And sometimes it gets out of whack. But when I go and get organized, like as soon as I go and tidy again, I've, I've got that structure. Her structure is alive in my house. And, it, and at the moment, it's not a good time to be looking at it, seeing it. But, <laughs> because it's a change. We just put up all these new cupboards and filled put all our stuff in it. And we haven't put the doors on yet. And both of us said, Geez, you don't even need doors because it looks so good. Because just the way it wasn't okay. It, it's not because because I always would have hung the clothes up, but then when she says we'll hang them dark to light, you know, so that they're you know there's this harmony like in a shop. Once you know to do that and it looks better, you just you just gravitate towards it. It's not like it says fold everything. It's uh, it, it's and now even then I can't, I just can't roll socks anymore like I used to. I just I go to and I'm like, no, it just looks crap. It's I just it's in me. It's it's really shifted me. And I'm a bit frustrated cuz just sorry, I'm a bit frustrated because some parts of my life I haven't got around to doing that yet like the, Yeah. All the space isn't conducive to it. My garage is just That's that's what I'm afraid of, right? Is that I'm going to pull it off in just a few subsets. That my socks and my t-shirts may pull it off and whatever, just these little areas, but my truck will still be a mess and, you know, my, my vehicle, whatever, and my office. Part of the reason I'm moving out of my office is because I don't trust myself because I'm like, but if I'm working remotely in, you know, a place where I got a membership and can kind of sit down in one of two or three places, like it's not somewhere you know, the guy was like, "Do you, you know, we've got a workstation. You have a dedicated workstation. I was like, that's not what I want. I don't want anywhere I can lay anything. I, 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 I want to be paperless and, you know, come in here with a laptop and leave with a laptop and that's it. Um, partly because I, I don't trust that. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how you go three months from now. Yeah. Because uh, I'm moving towards that more and more, but it's I'm not there yet. But I think it's 
still just a moving process. Like, um, oh, there's some more stuff I'll talk about off air, which are a bit more subtleties in the business. But there's there's things that I'm constantly discarding or moving. Like it's just a it's a it's like a constant lifestyle now where I'm looking for less. But what has been interesting is we've been buying some more furniture and stuff because blah, 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 blah. I don't want to go into details. But um, I was like, well, what's our decision-making pro- process for getting? I don't get that what the framework is for buying this stuff. Like we say we Arthur Broner sold the couch, which is not unlike me because another time I cut a couch in half just so we get a new one. Well, Broner did the same thing, but she didn't cut it in half. She just, she just sold it, right? And then cut so suddenly, it completely out. yeah, it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know where it is. It's just gone. And um, so, I, and you know, I'm a big one for like take the massive action and just you've got no other choice. But then when you go to replace it, are you price driven? Are you style driven? Are you when can it be delivered driven? And then what else are you buying? Like we've got a fair bit of stuff going on, and that was very frustrating to not have a really great. Um, framework for choosing what we were going to buy and when and how much we were going to spend. And then as we got close, we, you know, you sort of journeyed, eventually got to the point where for me, Brian Kittler saying, what do you think of this couch? What do you think of this couch? What do you think of this couch? And we were price conscious, but in the end, the thing that kept on coming up is it's got no style. Yep. It's a good, it's comfortable. There's no style to it. And that was a theme that really started to come up. And when we started to look at some other furniture for different parts of the house, it was eventually started to pick stuff that was a little bit more expensive, but I was like, but it lit me up. I was like, Oh my God, I so want to walk in and see that. And, and because we'd been so conscious about, is it possible? Does it fit? Can we afford this? Is it a good spend? We'd lost the question. Would this bring joy? And it took a while because for a while there it looked like it wasn't going nothing was going to bring joy. Joy wasn't an option, and it was actually only on the last day of looking. We were heading somewhere. Yeah, all right, let's have a look at that thing again. And I said we should just go to this particular shop again. She goes, we've already looked at that shop. I said, yeah, but it's a different location. This is a bigger store. It might have more. And he's all right. Um, and we're on the same team. We're really good at this stuff. When we go to Ikea, but most people break up. We come out like closer. Like we love that. We just we take it on. Um, but it was interesting. We got in there and there was more. And it was just interesting how we're a good team, team like that, but how it was quite the journey. And once, only once we sort of got clearer on, say, that style was important to me anyway, and then the price was less of importance, then we went back to shops we'd seen before and we could make the decision. So it was like you revisit the same opportunities and now they're opportunities before they weren't. And uh, it was interesting how even though we've discarded, we had a framework for that, the framework for then moving forward into the next thing wasn't clear. Mm-hmm. And I'm feeling way better about it now. It's like joy and style. And uh, I mean, I think this applies to sort of some level of life to anyway, like, I remember when we were renovating our kitchen, we really didn't have a whole lot of things figured out yet, but we did go to an antique store and found this old, um, I don't even know what they call them now. Uh, Anyway, it's just like a, a, it's a cupboard, like an old fashioned, um, it's got a big tin shelf that you slide out and you do your baking on it. Like you, you know, 
put all your bread together on it to, you know, your soft stuff and then you slide it back in and it's got upper and lower drawers and cupboards and blah, 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 blah. Antique thing. And we just decided we're going to build the kitchen around that. Like that would just be the the theme that everything would. And so all of a sudden, like once we had that, everything else became easier to make decisions around because you'd made that one decision of like, we like that feeling over there of what that brings. So as long as everything else ties into that feeling, everything. And I, I do think it's easy to, Partly for me, the oh, I'm not kind of called overwhelmed, but the craziness of having too much crap is that it, you lose that sense of decision making, not just with your belongings, but just in general. You start to lose the feel of what it is that's your style because there's too much crap to figure out that you're trying to match everybody else or whatever. Um, so I just sort of feel like. Maybe every 10 years we need to be doing some kind of reset on that and just going back to... Even even know. more, you're like five years but or yeah. three, but I, I hear oh, every day, I guess. But um, but one, I agree when you said just then, you know, you're trying to work out what your style is, but you, you're trying to match it to so many other things. Well, one of the things has been, we've talked about this before, I talk about it all the time, but we often use the house as a metaphor for your life. Well, what B and I did was... Once we moved in together, we agreed to sell everything that we owned furniture-wise and start again. So that way, it was just a fresh start. And so that's why we've been selling a whole lot of stuff. But there are some things that we look at and we go, no, we both love that. We're going to keep that. But it's been really liberating because often you buy a new item to fit in with your old items. Mm Mm-hmm. And then two people combine together and you get two couches or, I don't know, all of that. You, you have either two of everything or you've got stuff that one person loves and the other doesn't. Or it was for college but not quite for now. We've still got stuff lying around that was from... Yet, you know, one of the, some of the clearest parts of my life, as I've realized just recently as I was reading this book and thinking about this process, was when I was living in Florida on my own and... All I had was a two-door Honda Accord and a bed and a nice couch and a television. That was that was it. I, I just had all of my stuff still fit into a rucksack and everything else was sitting on just good quality hard cardboard boxes with she- sheets on top of them. So all I did was just... You know, like I had a sarong from doing stuff at for some reason at, at, at Interlock. And so I was like, oh, that's really cool material. I'll just put that over this the, this big cardboard box that I got, the television, and my, and my stereo, and I had good stereo. So I just put that upside down, put the sarong on. I was like, oh, that's great. That'll be like the thing that sits in front of the couch. And then that's what I ate my dinner on. And it was just me, so it didn't matter. And I had one dish or two dishes Two cups, two forks, two... Like, it was just so simple. And I remember noticing it when I was living on my own because I was like, man, I just... I used to spend hours doing the dishes at home. And now it's like I I never used the dishwasher in this apartment because I was like, I don't need to. I got two dishes. And, you know, yeah, sure, life is simple. And, you know, I get that. I'm not looking to go back to those days. It's just that... Things, you know, were, I felt like my brain had way more capacity at that point because 
it, it I didn't have all these other things to sort of keep track of in my brain. It was just really mm-hmm. simple. Um, See, the storage industry is um, an interesting industry because it's it's actually built on the back of us having unhealthy lines of thinking, thinking that we need to keep things and hold things. And we don't want to throw them out. So we pay money to store them. And so now these things are a liability. Um, a friend of mine uh, had purchased a bed for $50 and wasn't sure where she was going to live next. So she put it in a storage unit, which was costing us like $80 a month. And I, I said, do you realize after the first month, you've, You've already, you know, you've spent more storing the bed than you did on, on buying it. And and she got it at a good price from a friend. It was like, you know, something. Anyway, and uh, and it was going to be there for six months. And it just doesn't take long to crunch the numbers and just go, this is a dumb decision. This is a really dumb decision. But, and so even like when you go to the, like so many people buying more and more storage containers and everything to store things. And uh, I... You know, that book was really healthy for me to, to show me the way out of that because you don't even you, – you intellectually, as an intelligent person, you go, yeah, that's silly. You shouldn't do that stuff. But you still got it happening. It, it's still it's still happening in so many places. And so um, it's really, really healthy. And we've actually inspired quite a few people in our community to discard as well. We've just championed it. And uh, and we're not finished. Like it, it, But life is simpler because of it. And I also look at people who've got kids and then they start to think they need all these things and – even when I go shopping with me, I'm like, do we, do we need it? Why are we getting this? And, and it's, not a, it's not because Brian is in opposition to me. It's just that I propose the question and say, well, is this really – I don't like being in debt. I don't like, I don't like having stuff for the sake of it. And yep. um, yeah, it's an interesting well, journey. Yeah, I think it's an important one for kids too because um, – I was thinking about it and, you know, it, not only is it important to be able to teach a child how to depart from things that they're playing with or have come close to, to get used to that, I think is an important thing. Um, so you don't become too emotionally connected to your belongings, but I thought, well, but if we were doing that on a regular basis and having those conversations of does this bring you joy and what does that really mean? Like, you know, what's the difference between saying something brings you joy and really knowing it? And how do you get to know that feeling? Even if you're wrong the first 50 times that you keep saying you want that car or doll or table or whatever. But when you finally do realize what it means and whether or not you really do want that thing and you dispose of it, you've actually learned something in that process. And I was like, gee, that could be pretty valuable to young kids that then you get to this. And I was like, maybe I'm overthinking it, but relationships and all these other things where I think we lose sense of that because you start holding on to everything. And then when you lose something like a significant relationship, it becomes this big, big event and it should be but at the same time it becomes so difficult to move on because you're not used to moving on from anything um and people confuse their emotions like this is about emotional literacy when you read that book she's really it isn't totally so she's going in and coaching people on being able to recognize what they love yeah yeah people get all upset saying oh I do love it. You're saying I don't need it. I suppose you want me to get rid of this as well. And, and you're, like, you're missing the point. And I say that to kids too when they want to do study stuff. I'm like, 
Guys, if it's not productive, it's not the way. And when you're productive, you have a, it's a, you feel like you're making progress. It might be difficult, but it's worth it. And if it's not productive, then you've actually got a horrendous strategy. And you want to be able to recognize what emotions you're feeling when and use that as a guide. It, it's all about emotional literacy, this stuff. And, and even when you said before about you know throwing out paperwork and it's from the tax man, well, that would feel good. People confuse pleasure with fulfillment. And that's the other thing. Like I've learned... If I've got a bill from the tax man, throwing it out doesn't feel good. Throwing it out would actually feel horrendous because now I'm at risk. In actual fact, it feels way more fulfilling to get it done. So there's actually more joy in that. But people are thinking, I know you know that, but that's the journey that you go on. And I found that um, the distinction is between short-term and long-term emotion. Um, and oh, I, wish I, could get, I don't want to get into that too much, but... But it's, it's an awesome exercise. That's why, like, even my clients, I've got a bunch of people in the, in the cast this year, and and they are, one of the things that we all discussed before Christmas was just getting crap cleaned out. And everybody's going home over Christmas break to just clean out their house. And it does create agility. So, and the emotional literacy, because that was what how we all really got onto it. We're realizing that you keep turning a blind eye to that room, or you keep turning a blind eye to that cupboard. And when you're doing that, that's how you do anything how you do everything. So it becomes a metaphor for other aspects of your life. And you wouldn't have thought it would be so powerful, but it is. So that's your um So that's your theme for the quarter, perhaps? That's a pretty big one, yeah. Mm. And that's on top of yeah. just daily function of building a business and having a family and being a dad and being in the wedding party. <laughs> Well, I've got five other guys to support me on the wedding party, so I should be all set. We have, but I've just decided to do a bit of a clean out. <laughs> Who brings me the most joy? Oh, that's too funny. <laughs> it is. It's great, isn't it? So, uh, well, I want to revisit this day after the wedding. So, the wedding's April 2nd, so maybe the week, May, May sometime. Let's um, revisit this. And I've written down three word, three things here. Build, daily habits, and style. So they're the things that I'm focusing on. And style is really my environment. It's probably a bit more private thing, but the rest, the other ones are very uh, more professional probably. And, and I've written for you, throwing shit out. Well, that's how it starts. You spend most of your time discarding. That's pretty much it. It's yeah. six months of that, really. Yeah, it it doesn't, I don't really care where anything goes. I, I just genuinely don't. That's not what I'm good at. <laughs> I'm just excited to throw things away. Um, uh, yeah, it, is, it feels awesome. It feels awesome. I've gone to the Salvo so many times. So, try, still going to tip again this weekend. It just It's amazing how much crap there is around and, and how much stuff you just don't need. You go, oh, but that's good. You never touch it. Um, well, that's great, mate. All right. Well, this this year's a bit different. Other years we've sort of been a little bit more mechanical and had clear targets, but this is um this is really good. I'm I'm excited about this. I'm excited about life in general. Mm. And uh, that's great. I wonder if I wonder if it's even interesting to people or not. I mean, <laughs> and I mean, I guess it seems relevant to everybody, but it seems. It seems intense in my brain, but when I talk about it, it seems pretty bland. <laughs> yeah, I, I was—I think that too. I wonder that too. I don't, but uh, yeah. it's—but I guess you know, like for our regular listeners, some episodes 
for us, we, we make real growth. There's real growth, there's real breakthroughs. This is a bit more pondering, I guess. But like when I listened to Derek Sivers, I was just hearing about his life and I was like, ooh, that stuff applies to me. And you, just, you learn a lot from hearing other people's stories more than you necessarily their advice. Um, and so, you know, maybe it's inspiring people to clear out or maybe it's inspiring people to put a few things in place so they can build their wealth over time. Um, uh, yeah, like I know that um, a few of my friends, their themes, one of them is just to learn, like learning's the theme for the year. Uh, another one is, um, uh, well, you actually talked about bravery and courage, didn't you, for this year? Yeah, I was going to touch on that earlier, but um, yeah. I started trying to sort of work on that. I wouldn't say I've taken major action on that. I did start to try out a little bit of meditation, but I think that would come under the category of habits if if I was to try to pursue. Um, yeah, no, I feel like I haven't made any ground on that yet. I still don't feel like I'm on top of, you know... Uh, yeah, I'd like there to be more consistency in my level of worry from one day to the next. Some days I'm great. Other days I'm like, I don't know why, it just feels as though the whole world is going to fall apart around me in terms of not not catastrophically, just mean like I'm just waiting for a phone call to say something's not working and I get to stop what I'm doing and attend to it and <laughs> it doesn't happen. And then other days it has been happening and that's what's so concerning to me. It's like I have this feeling something is up somewhere and I'm just waiting for that phone call and the craziest thing is it just, it happens. I get the phone call and it's not that bad. It never is that bad. It's always fine, but it's it's still that anticipation or something. I'd, I'd love it's, to... It's got a lot to do with the industry you're in, I think, too. Because like I used to have that when I... Run, run other programs and also when I didn't have an agent because the agent takes the call for me and they just filter stuff so if my phone rings it's just the agent usually and sometimes you get a bad phone call like you just get a phone call like you're meant to be at a function where are you and you're like oh geez. but um, but I but I used to have that anxiety all the time and one day I was hanging out with Rod Butters who had built some big businesses and he and the phone rang and he just left the conversation just was mid-sentence to me and just grabbed it and started talking to them and it was a landline, so he'd run to the desk and he hung up. He said, oh, sorry about that. He goes, it's the salesman in me. Every time I hear a phone ring, I just, it's just, I just hear the opportunity. And I was like, geez, every time I hear the phone ring, I think somebody bloody's pissed off about something. <laughs> and I didn't like that I'd been conditioned to do that. But as my yeah. work's changed, it's not the same way. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a feeling of this conditioning within me. And I, I want to say that I can overcome that by changing what I'm doing for a living, but that also feels like running away. And it's not that I, I'm generally ready to modify and make tweaks to what I'm doing. I've actively been doing that and that's great. But at the same time, uh, I want to actually move through the challenges and I don't think there it's possible to even completely overcome it. I think we're all just destined to be concerned and worried about things. I'd just like to have, a little bit more observation and control over those things. Well, I'm pretty a, good with it. Here's a thought yeah. for you. I was listening to the ABC last night and uh-huh. uh, and 
they were saying that there's an app you can get for your phone or on your computer, I think it goes as well, and it alerts you every time you're apologizing unnecessarily. And it says that it proposes that so many times we start emails with, hey, sorry, I didn't get back to you sooner. Or, you know, sorry that, uh, sorry it's taken me a while to do this or, uh, or whatever version of apology. And they were just discussing it. And I, my extrapolation of that was, yeah, we, we have this sense that there's a right way to do things. And we put that onto ourselves. And because there's a right way to do things, we, uh, we then apologize because we're not living up to the idealism, up to the, up to the expectation of, you know, I send you an email, you get back to me straight away. Everything's perfect. I'm on it. I'm super professional. And it's interesting because I have found myself, uh, often not apologizing for things because they're not my fault. So for example, at Damon's wedding, um, the, the, I, I was a celebrant and I was the MC and, uh, and the bus went every hour on the hour and we're a pretty remote area. So it's pretty, you got to really be on that boat. And, uh, I would make a call going, you know, bus is going at 11 o'clock. So it's quarter to 11. I'm like, bus goes in 15 minutes, folks. And then I just hit the dance floor again and, and it's getting midnight. And I'm like, it's quarter to midnight. I'm like, Hey guys, bus goes in 15 minutes. Anyway, later on, I'm walking past a bunch of people and they're all pissed off because the bus has gone without them. And they're all looking at me and they're like, there should have been an announcement. And I was like, yeah, there was. The quarter 12. Like, you're adults. <laughs> I just walked off and someone says, don't even worry about them, Dobbo. And I can tell you honestly, in my gut, I didn't worry about it for a split second. <laughs> I was like, I'm not apologizing. <laughs> what do you want me to hold, hold your hand? It's not, the, it's not a, a flight where we're like, oh, passengers, you know. Steve and Tom, can you like? I was like, whatever. Like, I was like, oh, what is it? Really minute countdowns. Like, I was having a yeah. party, and I was like, it's caught. It's fifteen minutes notice. Like, what? Anyway, um, so when I, there's other times when I've found I've actually stopped apologising, and it's more about their level of independence, and, uh, not needing to react, and also when people apologise to me, I'm often saying, don't apologise. But I think that that's that's part of what creates a lot of anxiety in us. And I, it was incredible that someone's even recognized we need an app for that. Yeah, it's pretty bad. It's pretty extreme, isn't it? And I think it bridges yeah. over what stuff that you're talking about. I think it does. I think there's something in that. It's mm. embedded in, it's not the whole part of it. This is just natural human dynamics. This isn't like, I just think it's something we all wrestle with at one level or another. Um, and I like to be a, a bit better with it. Um, I also, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm just working on that. I haven't actually done a lot of work on it since we last talked about it. So it's probably all there is to say other than doing a couple of short meditation practices to, see, but it just, it wasn't constant enough to see if it was making any real impact, you know? Mm. So right. anyhow. All right. Awesome. Well, I've got you down for discard, meditate, and brave and right. got me down for build the daily habits and style and the 12 o'clock bus yeah well mate someone else has got to be making those announcements at my wedding and as you found yourself in the um, in the bridal party I guess you'll be 
guess you'll be needing a job. Uh, maybe, 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 maybe. Every every hour on the hour, the bus is leaving. And uh, I, actually, what I really need is someone to be on that bus and make sure everybody gets dropped off um, properly. So, we, look, we may not see you a lot at the function, but we really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Just so glad you're there. <laughs> All that way to drive the goddamn bus. Uh-uh. No, no, you don't have to drive it. No, 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 I've got to drive it. Oh, don't be silly. Me. No, no, <laughs> just take their names. Just take the names, make sure. We're not going to give you that much responsibility. <laughs> you crazy. Oh, mate, that's awesome. All right, mate. It's always a pleasure. I'll chat to you next week. Yeah, see you later, mate. See you, everybody. You've been listening to Risking Failure. To join the community and access more free content, news and updates, subscribe at riskingfailure.com.